0: Hey Rebel Educators, I'm excited to bring you this series of episodes from Open Mind School. Open Mind School has been a mentor to me as I've launched UP Academy and they are a leader in inclusion education. Learning about their innovation lab, talking to their leadership and hearing from their students is a unique experience and one that shouldn't be missed. I hope you enjoy this mini-series from Open Mind School. Welcome, everyone. I am here today with Dr. Marina Vasserman. She is a doctor of social work with a focus on social innovation to close the equity gap of access in schools and services. She is founder and head of school at Open Mind School, a nonprofit lab school in pursuit of high-quality research on learning. Open Mind School focuses on accessibility and inclusion, curriculum development, research, professional development, and educational experimentation for the purpose of supporting the community as a resource, supporting the improvement of learning for all children. She is also founder of Foster the Foster Family, which matches local volunteers and community organizations with a foster family to provide a network of support for those working hard to spread their hope and compassion to our most vulnerable at-risk youth. Her background is in the field of mental health, neuroscience, and educational advocacy. She specializes in working with foster youth, children identified as gifted learners, and children with learning differences. And one of the really special parts about this particular podcast is this is the first in a mini-series that we'll be doing on Open Mind School and their social innovation lab and talking with a few of their students. So welcome, Marina. I'm so excited to chat with you. Likewise, I'm very happy to be here today. So Open Mind, I love the idea of creating a school for educational experimentation. And I haven't seen those words used together very often. And I know that you call yourself a lab school. So tell us about the challenge that you were looking to solve by opening Open Mind School and kind of the evolution that it's taken. Absolutely.
1: You know, as a social worker, I look at many, many societal problems. Through the lens of grand challenges that we find in social work, for me, that has always, always been and resonated with eradicating social isolation. When I think about relationships and social connections with others, I think that those are the greatest components for a catalyst for change. However, here comes the problem in education, right? There are too many marginalized youth that have been isolated within the K-12 system. School system is a very, very complex piece to try to navigate and to really try to uproot in a more creative, forward-thinking model. My hope has always been to somehow be able to look at and break down the stereotypes and the barriers to create a more inclusive community. And, well, if you've ever seen me out in the community with children, you probably know that that's where my heart lives. So coming up with a school to be able to do that was really, really something I was drawn to. The idea of creating a pilot model program, something that redefines the very definition of inclusion and what inclusion means to me and hopefully to others, is really what we're looking at to be able to eradicate social isolation for students who are in the community. When we first opened doors at Open Mind, we were looking at supporting really a subset of students in the educational system who were just sort of being missed. And since then, it's really evolved and changed a great deal.
0: Let's talk about what is inclusion. So I think when we talk about inclusion from a school point of view, it means a lot of different things. And so there's definitely a lot of isolation in some schools and separating students into special day classes, separating into special education programs, and then bringing them back into general education classrooms. And I've seen inclusion look everything from you know rolling in a student in a wheelchair to the back of the room so that they're included in the class, but then rolling them back out again. And there's no real interaction and collaboration to, you know, having what's called full inclusion in a classroom, but still having so many different pull-out sessions where that student might only be in the classroom 30, 40, 60 percent of the time because of all the other services. And those services definitely are necessary. And I know that schools are grappling with different models of what works and how to support their students. But what does inclusion look like to you?
1: That's a great question. I think that is the foundation of everything, right? And one of the difficulties within the educational sector is exactly what you're pointing out, that it is defined differently among so many different schools. And that's crossing from public to private to non-public schools and how they're looking at that. When I use the word inclusion, I define it as a genuine, I'm going to say that again, because there, there's a huge emphasis right there, a absolute genuine sense and feeling of belonging. Inclusion to me is not ever by any means a room on the other side of campus, down the hall, over there, labeled room 302. No, inclusion is a theoretical construct. It acts as a guiding star and it should be something that is a feeling and is a sense. Taking a student with disabilities, putting them in a gen ed classroom, that is not inclusion. That is not good inclusion. Because inclusion means you belong and you're a part of. And that really takes a leadership position and executive role to sit there and think about how do you create and design inclusive spaces and spaces that are really meaningful to all students who are a part of that classroom and a part of that school culture as a whole. And I think that's one of the really big pieces when you see other schools using that term or thinking about this percentage of time they're included because they're out on the playground with others or this percent, that is not inclusion. It's not, and it's not a classroom down the hall. It is every day, all day, beginning of the day to the very end of the day, having your community and building that up. Thank you,
0: (laughs) absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But that's a really hard thing to do from a school standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a societal standpoint. I know for me growing up, special education was, A dark corner. It was a room at the back of the school. The door was always closed. The students who were there had a separate lunch hour. They had a separate break hour. They had a separate PE hour. Like There was nothing at all included. And I think for a lot of people who are now teachers and now administrators, that's the model that we were brought up with and taught. And so shifting that mindset can be really challenging. So you're looking at shifting a mindset not only of a leader of a school, but also of society. So how do you go about working with leaders and working with the school districts that you do with your students to start to make that mind shift? That's probably the biggest
1: challenge, right? And one of the things that we're hoping to do with Open Mind, the idea is that it's a pilot model program. We're not looking to have hundreds of students in our school. We're not looking to have dozens of different locations. We're looking to say, here's how you put together a truly inclusive space. Here's a pilot model program. There's no magic here. It's best practice and it's something everyone should be doing everywhere. It's something that should be available in your neighborhood school down the street as an option for every student who lives within that residence in that community. And some leaders, as you can imagine, in some schools are significantly more receptive to that than others. I think to be receptive to the idea and concept that students with differing abilities, both strengths and areas of difficulty, can all come together. A couple of things need to be part of the, the ingredients for that. I think first you need to have this belief that that's something that is possible. You need to have an understanding that potentially the way it's always been done before is not the right way. And that can be really hard. It could be really hard to say maybe the special ed programs in their design for all of these years were actually designed under the assumption that students will fail because that's how you maintain separation and division within the public sector particularly around policy and practice and then you need families ones who are going to be open-minded and embrace that level of diversity because when i go to leaders and i go to principals and i talk to sped directors and i say what are your barriers what are your concerns what is holding you back the most what resonates over and over and over again is well if i have this student who's exhibiting x y c whatever that might be other parents will complain There's something within the community that is still a huge barrier that comes and stems from families, whether they're looking for inclusion opportunities or not, whether they're saying they believe in the idea or not. When you put that together in practice and you have, and I'm going to switch demographics for a quick moment because I think this is easier to conceptualize. If you have a student with a trauma-based background who might be part of the dependency system or duly involved, and you have a child who's cursing in a classroom, who has gone through a lot of hard, a lot of hard, and they're working through that. But part of it is their level of exposure to profanity or language or or whatever it might be through a multitude of contexts. You throw them in, in a classroom with other students and you have parents complaining, the school is responding to that, often not saying, let's rally together. Let's learn about this child's journey, their story, and let's step up as a community to be a system of support. They're saying, you're right, this is unacceptable. This language is not allowed. We need to find you somewhere else to go. And that's where you start to see suspension. You start to see expulsion. You start to utilize and explore alternative forms of schooling. And those are really huge problems. And it's built in. it's creating a system that continues to divide and subdivide and is really not geared towards what we would consider inclusion. Unfortunately, it's creating and manifesting into little children who have had a lot of hard, whatever that is growing into adults who don't have a system of support and, again, who are unintentionally socially isolated.
0: Yeah, I want to address a couple of things you said and share a story from when we started our school as well. So talking about other parent complaints and what that looks like when you bring in inclusion and the wide definition of what inclusion is. So my daughter, who had cerebral palsy, was fully included in the classroom and in a mainstream classroom. And One of my good friends who's now on our board of directors, and I tell this story frequently, so she's heard me tell it. But our first day of kindergarten, she's kind of a tiger mom. Her daughter was reading. Her daughter was above grade level. Her daughter was doing math coming into kindergarten and took a look at my daughter and went, oh, no, there's a student who uses a wheelchair. She has disabilities. She's going to hold the whole class up. This isn't ever going to work. I don't want my daughter in this classroom with this student because it's going to hold her back. And as the year went on and as they progressed and as the universe would have things unfold, the two of them became best friends. <laughs> and so she tells stories about coming to our house for playdates and not knowing like, how the kids were going to play. How are they going to communicate? How is this going to work? Like My daughter can run around and play and talk and her friend can't. So what are we going to do? And as adults, just couldn't conceptualize how that would work. The kids, however, had a great time, played together, communicated just fine, learned how to talk to each other, and really honestly became best friends. And so she tells that story now, looking back, understanding how much her daughter gained from that. In no way did it hold back her academics, but it gave her the opportunity to see differences, to understand how to communicate in different ways, to understand And really be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes for what they're going through. So different than like a trauma-informed situation that you described, but still bringing in this parent complaint and parent misunderstanding of what it looks like when we have a lot of different types and different ability students in the classroom. But what I think that you talked about is really magic. You said there's no magic, but I think there's really magic there. When you talk about how we can build a community that instead of ostracizing and othering and saying, you're right, this is against our policy and procedure, instead, if we can build that community that really rallies together and looks for understanding, believes that we can create a space where we can all work together, understands that change is possible and shifts that narrative from assuming failure. This is essentially why we originally isolated kids, right? We assume they're going to fail in the classroom. When we shift that to assuming competence and assuming that all kids have the ability to learn, all kids have the ability to make progress, all kids have the ability to work together, how does that shift then that sense of belonging and allow our communities to rally together? So how do you do that at Open Mind? You know, you began as a school and now you really encompass a whole community. So, what does that look like? Can you walk us through that growth and how you really build and rally that community together behind students? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I think your your story really highlights the essence of everything we say, which is children want to be with other children. And we create these stereotypes as adults. Adults create this need for separation or this need for divide. And it's a very different feeling than children feel. They're not born into the world feeling, I can't play with this. I don't want to be around that. Those are things that we create over time. And that's really, really a huge piece of the K-12 education in terms of how it's traditionally set up and structured. And that's for a multitude of separation and programming across the board. I talk about this a lot within gifted education as well. Um, We see it most prevalent around special education, but it it really spans the wide, wide difference in students and and their experiences. And I think, yes, fundamentally, if we start at an early, really young age, Having children, and the expectation is our schools must represent the demographic of our community, and that is a large level of diversity on all fronts. Really, really being able to capture that in classroom settings all through the growth span, I think, is huge. When I think about us starting a school and then really moving to being a resource in the community, there are several groups who are are the driving force behind that. I think students, first and foremost, are the ones who are creating and defining what they want to see, and how to put it all together. Staff at our organization bring their expertise, their passions, their interests, and they create a lot of what the educational experience looks like because of what they bring to the table. It's the really interesting piece, I think, about our organization and our model set up in the classroom is we do have content specialists, those who are specializing within a particular segment, be it published authors or Uh, scientists in the field or those who are teaching neuroscience at Stanford who are teaching our students, whatever it is, it's really looking at content specialists, really interesting, creative folks who are deep, deep, deep into whatever their field of study is, along with educators who are looking at the differentiation of content. And then the whole rest of the classroom is embedded with supports who have a slightly different lens on what they're looking at. That might be classroom support who has a background in mental health, Who's full-time in the classroom. That might be someone who has a degree and license in art therapy who is also in the classroom full-time. Those could be speech paths or OTs or other folks who are pushing into those classrooms. Whatever their angle or lens is, they're bringing a really different viewpoint and a specialization, and yet they're also learning from all of these other fields where they're not experts. And I think that beauty and continuous learning has been a really huge part of our program and our growth and change. Families who show up and are open-minded and big-hearted to step into innovation with each other, even when it's hard, has been a really big piece. And then finally, community. And you and I can talk about this when you pick up the phone and you say, hey, I'm gonna need you to send a sub over today. And we go and we rally and we send a sub to your school. It is not uncommon for schools to reach out for whatever it might be that comes up, because the truth is, until we all band together and figure out how to leverage each other's strengths, we're going to be providing services in silos that don't actually expand beyond our walls into the community. So I think one of the huge components of serving the larger scale is being really mindful of what those needs are across different schools and school cultures. As we grow and we learn, I think we're continuously redefining what Open Mind should be and what it can offer. One thing is for sure: regardless of what programs we add or how we look at um, supporting paras in other schools or pushing curriculum development into different sectors or whatever that might be, the students continue to be at the center of everything. No doubt, with all of their diversity, each and every one of them experiences a sense of belonging at Open Mind and a genuine feel that. Not only are there problems in the world, really big social justice and societal problems, but a feeling that perhaps maybe they are the right person to address and to start to really challenge those.
0: So in full disclosure for our listeners out there, I have known Marina for quite a while and she has been a mentor and a huge help for us in opening up Academy and everything that we've grown. And so when she talks about community, it literally brings a tear to my eye because she has been so amazing for us. And I know that that's not just for me and my school. I know that that's for the community at large. And so she's not just speaking words, but this rings true through all of her actions and everything that she believes as well. But I love how you bring it back to being student-centered and your staff is coming in and you're giving them the independence to thrive within their classrooms And also the opportunity to learn so much. So they're all given that opportunity to be learners of each other because you have so many different experts in different areas in the classroom that they can really model that learning for students as well, which is something that's really special and magical. So looking at one of the other pieces that you've brought into open mind school. And again, we'll share the social innovators in the next rebel educator episode, but I'd love to hear your take on on the Innovation Lab and how that program got started and how it's really working to give students agency and voice. You mentioned, how do we give our students the voice to really be those change makers to take on those big societal problems that are out there?
1: Absolutely. I think the Social Innovation Research Lab group is a perfect example of how an evolution of a program really is sparked and inspired by students and staff. And it evolves into being a core component of something that we offer and that we're constantly looking to improve and to grow. We had a staff member who has a background in cognitive science. And we've talked about this idea and concept of the research and what that looks like in publishing original research. We've always done a lot with data analytics in using that information to create optimal learning environments. That's been a core component of our programming from the very beginning. But the idea happened on one end, the staff came and said, I really, really want to look at what it means to create a true, true social innovation lab. And at the exact same time, a student came and said, you know, I'm really struggling with making meaningful friendships. And I love things that maybe I'm not finding aligning with others. And one of those things is science and advocacy and the work I'm doing. And I'm just not connecting in a way I want to socially and building meaningful long-term friendships. So I sat there with all of these ideas and said, okay, well, it's clear. And they really define what that would look like, creating and bridging this divide with what's happening in research, the ideas and concepts with social innovation and social justice, the high school students taking the lead on this, and then us as professionals helping to be connectors. What does it look like for them to bring their path and their ideas to the table, and us to leverage our resources and connections in the community to elevate and to really disseminate the information of their perspective and their voices. Those have been really, really big core features and and a lot of how this got started. Now, what ended up evolving, of course, is over the last year, because this has been a concept for less than a year. Um, We've had students join the lab who are from Open Mind School. We've had students there from Milpitas High School, from East Palo Alto Academy, from the School of Independent Learners, from Sacred Heart, from San Mateo High School. It's a huge eclectic mix. The 49 ers School is another one that comes to mind. We're really looking at bringing all of these high schoolers really from the San Francisco Bay Area, but also beyond together to say, hey, what is it that? drives you? What fuels you? And then how do we create and support those opportunities? Their passion projects range really from video presentations for college students about neurodiversity. They've created first responder training materials. They've run social innovation labs for USC in their doctorate programs. They've created curriculum materials. They presented at the Stanford Neurodiversity Summit. They've published books. They've published articles. They are um, soon to be, as you mentioned, featured on your podcast, which they're thrilled about. But they are all stemming from they are identifying a problem. There's a problem in this area. They're creating and receiving mentorship in doing something to address that and then really figuring out how to disseminate that beyond just our group that meets together.
0: So just to be clear, they've accomplished all of these things, this long list that you just mentioned, and you've been an innovation lab for less than a year. Yes. Yes. They are remarkable. It's incredible what students can accomplish when they're given the resources and the connections and the facilitators that believe in them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great example of community and also of leadership, you know, of all of your staff and community coming together saying, hey, we have this challenge and the student has this question. And how can we create something to support them and elevate voices and bring them together? I'm so excited to talk to them. <laughs> so one of the questions that I always love to ask, because I run an elementary school, is if you can share a story that you remember from your elementary school years.
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. So pieces of my elementary school that folks who don't know me well would not know is I was not born in this country. So when I moved out to the United States, I was very much an English as a second language learner, big learning curve when you're coming to a country where you don't know the language where you don't have any social ties. And you're really building up from, from the ground up everything in your own community. Perhaps as I say that it's a little bit of the entrepreneurial <laughs> type of spirit of you can and you start with a concept, an idea and, and grow it out. But a lot of my early elementary years was really trying to find a sense of self and what that looked like and and how to establish that in a place that was so unknown and so unfamiliar. And I think for me, and and probably I would imagine a lot of listeners that there are those few teachers in your life who really just kind of stand out. And for me, I had a second grade teacher, an 11th grade teacher, and then a professor in social psych at NYU. And those are my three who who kind of guided me. So in elementary school, I think the biggest piece was in a second grade class. And it was interesting. And some of this will be familiar and, and I'll kind of age myself in other ways, but it was really popular and trendy to wear your backpacks on one shoulder to get in line and line up and stand there. And it was really interesting because everyone sort of wanted to be in the middle of the line. The middle of the line was the really cool place to be and to hang out. It, it was almost as if someone wouldn't catch you in, in the back or front if you were kind of sandwiched between the middle. And what it created, and this is sort of unintentional, and it was just really done by the teacher in that space, is she did something that meant nothing. And I don't think she even thought about it, but she took the line of the lineup this way and started to create circles. And that was how everyone lined up in the class. And it was a full round circle as opposed to a beginning, middle and end line. And I don't know if she intended to or not, but somehow all of this idea of running and being somewhere in place stopped mattering because everyone was the front, the back and the middle. And it was a moment that was a visual representation of equity in a way that was probably not even intended to be so powerful or so meaningful. And I think I can still sit back and remember that. And remember that there were no longer the cool kids in the middle or these folks at the end of the line or the front. We all had an even playing field. And I think when I look at how that resonates in moving forward and really thinking about equity, a lot of it is
0: how do you even the playing field? I think it's interesting that you choose a social structure. (laughs) A lot of people choose a project or a field trip or like a memory. And you remember the social structure that created equity. I'm going to have to give credit and assume that your second grade teacher knew exactly what she was doing in leveling that playing field. And I'm also guessing that you were one of the kids who was probably towards the back of the line and wanting to be cool in the middle, coming in as an English language learner. And so that memory for you stands out because it really elevated your status into equality. It probably stands out for the kids that were in the middle too, because in some ways de-elevated their status to equality.
1: (laughs) Amazing, right? So simple and so basic. And yet sometimes that's what it takes to really be movers and shakers. It's just taking something that's been done over and over again in one way and flipping it
0: upside down and seeing it work and change lives. I think that's the definition of disruption. How do we take what we've always done and do it differently? but still, at least in the case of education, that we get to, you know, what everybody sees as the right outcome, right? We still want all of our students learning what they need to learn to be successful in life and in the world. But how do we do that in different ways so that we can be equitable, so that we can assume competence, so that we can bring our communities to rally together around the support of our students instead of creating social isolation? So Marina, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to reach out later?
1: Absolutely. We are all over everything social media that is Open Mind School. So please, please, please check us out. You can also reach us at www.openmindschool.org. You'll see all of our contact information. If you're looking to reach out to me directly, I would love to hear from you at Marina at openmindschool.org. That's M-A-R-I-N-A at
0: openmindschool.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Marina. Absolutely. Thanks. Welcome, everyone. We have a very special show on the Rebel Educator podcast for you today. I am here with Open Mind Silicon Valley Social Innovation Lab, and we have a couple of members of their founding and their staff, as well as a group of students with us today. So, I'm joined by Matthew Jacobs, who is the lab consultant at Open Mind Silicon Valley, as well as Dr. Marina Vasserman, who is the founder and executive director of Open Mind Silicon Valley. We also have a wonderful group of students and participants with us that are part of the founding and organization of the Social Innovation Lab. Now, part of what's so cool about this podcast is that this is an inclusive podcast where we have speakers and non-speakers coming together with the common thread of social innovation. This is what they do in the lab. This is what we're going to do on the podcast. So we have a few non-speakers who use readers to help them. We have non-speakers who point to letters on a letter board to communicate. And we have others who are able to talk with us in a more quote-unquote typical fashion. So without further ado, I want to spend this time getting to hear their ideas and their voices, and I'm going to let them all introduce themselves to you.
2: Rachel says, Hi, I'm Rachel, a student at Open Mind School. My voicer is reading my words. Today, I communicate by pointing to letters on a letterboard. When I was younger, I had no way to let my teachers know that I was understanding them. People think behavior is communication. If you take one thing from this podcast,
3: it is that not all behavior is communication.
0: Thank you, Rachel. Welcome. Thank you for joining us.
3: Patrick says, Hi, I'm Patrick, and I'm in 11th grade. I love math, science, nightly news videos, gardening, and cooking. I experience the world as someone who is non-speaking, and every moment in time, I'm hearing sounds or seeing sights that only I can hear or see. Either has the literal power over most of me. Matt will read my written words today.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Welcome.
3: Lucian says My name is Lucian Gonzalez. I'm a ninth grader at Open Mind School. I'm interested in science, especially chemistry and astronomy, and I love listening to music.
0: Thank you.
4: Welcome, Lucian. Hi, I'm Aisha. I'm a senior at Milpitas High School, and I am a debater, so I've been involved in speech and debate for four years. Um, I really enjoy debate and the aspect of being able to be a critical advocate and sort of think on your feet in debate rounds, and so that's why I'm really passionate about debate and communication. I also really like science, specifically biology, and some of my hobbies include um, listening to music, reading books, and going for runs.
5: Thank you, Aisha. Welcome. Hi, my name is Ruhi. I'm a sophomore at Santa Clara High School. Some of the extracurriculars I do include dance, basketball, coding, and debate. At my school, there's a STEM program um, that was started and funded by the 49ers, and I'm part of that, and I'm passionate about STEM fields, and I'm interested in STEM. Awesome. Thank you,
0: Ruhi. Thanks for joining us. Welcome.
6: Hi, uh, I'm Marcus. I am in 11th grade. I'm a junior at Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks. And I'd say my biggest focus is in computer science and coding in general, which is how I was, I was able to get in contact with and start working with OMS as a general like uh, tech intern. And so I'm really happy that that was able to connect me with OMS and start me on this journey that I think has been a great experience and taught me a lot.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Marcus. Welcome. Thank you all. I'm so excited that we are all here and getting a chance to connect and talk and share. And it sounds like we have a wide variety of interests and backgrounds, but all of you have come together as a part of the Social Innovation Lab. So what does it mean to be a social innovator at the Open Mind Social Innovation Lab?
2: Rachel says, you are an innovator when you make changes to how people think. It is breaking down unconscious biases that people have about people who don't use speech to communicate. I am a social innovator because I am myself. I am an advocate, a researcher with a community-based participatory research group, a college-bound student, and a transgender woman with a hairy face and no boobs. My body and my brain are really out of sync. That's what makes me awesome. It's like being an alien, but I fit into my school and family in the lab because we aren't trying to be normal. We're trying to be leaders who show others what is possible.
0: Thank you, Rachel. I think you really are showing what it means to be a leader and showing up as yourself. And that's super important and helps other people to open their minds. (laughs) I know that sounds cliche and it's the name of your lab, but yes.
3: Lucian says, To me, being a social innovator means pushing the boundaries of people's perceptions of what is possible for society.
0: Yes, that's what we should all try to do, right? Be something bigger than ourselves and push the boundaries of what's possible.
3: Patrick says, to me, social innovators are people who invent solutions to problems they see in their world.
4: I believe social innovation is a way of evaluating uh, the way things are, the status quo in your own unique lens. And so each person has their own way of sort of figuring out how the issues in the way things are right now can be fixed. And so sort of just seeing how that all comes together from different perspectives is really interesting and necessary for social innovation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How do we evaluate the status quo and not only evaluate it, but take it one step farther and create an innovation, do something different than just what's always been done before?
5: I think that being a social innovator means coming up with ideas and forming solutions to combat certain problems in society and change social norms. And I think that it means having the courage to take a stand against issues that have prevailed for a long or a short time, even if they might be small.
0: So true. There is no issue that's too big or too small in having that courage. I love that you use the word courage because it is really courageous. It's really courageous to be yourself. It's really courageous to share ideas. And it's really courageous just to do something different and think outside of, like Aisha said, outside of that status quo.
6: I definitely agree that being a social innovator has a lot to do with kind of breaking or reforming ideas of the status quo. I think that being a social innovator is Being someone that can bring a creative or unique skill set or set of ideas to a lot of the problems that they see in society by providing a different perspective on those uh, issues, they can help a lot to combat them.
0: Yeah. So much of what we do and so much of what we talk about in education in general is how do we shift perspective? How do we look at something from a different angle? There's a lot of talk about social emotional learning and empathy. And that's the whole basis for empathy is. How do you take something from one person's point of view and see yourself there and really try and understand their perspective? So what are your passions? We've heard a little bit about your background and the things you like to do, but what is that passion? What is that thing that really ignites you, that drives you to want to make change and be a social innovator?
2: Rachel says, my passion is driven by my survival instinct. I'm not going to be normal, but I am going to rock the world, so watch out. I'm getting ready to show what happens when autistic people get access to communication and when they get an education that doesn't limit but expands past your expectations. You haven't met me, but remember my name because you
0: will know me someday. Strong statement, Rachel. But yes, I think that our passion should hopefully go beyond our survival. And into all of the things that, you know, we can do through education and we can do through talking and sharing and communicating and working with others. But I love the passion. Thank you.
3: Lucian says, my passion is giving non-speakers access to the letter board, especially when other methods of communication have not worked for them or if their communication device has a limited vocabulary. Students need parents or teachers or someone to believe in them and help them learn but many are skeptical so they don't
0: yeah many i think many people are skeptical and unfortunately i think it comes from many people having you know less than great experiences with some teachers or educators earlier in life before they find the right people that can talk to them and understand them and work with them and i so appreciate how you want to help other non speakers access the letter board and access ways to find An unlimited voice, not just the sometimes limiting vocabulary that can be in some devices. You're so right.
3: Patrick says, really, what drives me is how empowering it has felt to bring my ideas to the group each week. My mission in life is to really make a difference in the lives of children who are non-speaking like me. So I will invent a device that makes it possible to get my ideas out of my mind so I can date and live independently someday. My plan is to find some willing scientists to make my device work. Here in San Francisco at UCSF, there is a neuroscientist who can already see changes in a stroke patient by mapping brain activity. Let's ask our empowered students to help too.
0: Yeah, one of the coolest things that I got excited about. So I, I had a daughter with cerebral palsy and she was nonverbal. And several years ago, I went to a neurogaming conference because I got really excited about this idea of neurointerface and the ability to, you know, in her case, she was also non mobile. So her ability to make her body move by thinking, we all do that. Most of us do that pretty easily. Your body says move right arm and your right arm moves. And she couldn't do that. And so the idea for the neurointerface to be able to work with mobility, but also to work with communication. Like they're getting closer to that technology where you'll be able to think what you want to say and it'll come out on a screen without having to letterboard, without having to type, without having to eye gaze and limited vocabulary, which was one of the things that I was super excited about and continue to be excited about. And so if you can work with a neuroscientist at UCSF and make that happen, like me and hundreds of thousands of people around the world would be so incredibly grateful and impressed as we continue to work on that technology, but absolutely all the work that we can do to empower others to share ideas, because that's really, you know, how we start to feel like we belong. And that's how we connect with our community is how we can create new things and share ideas and share opinions and debate and do all of these things. I love that. Thank you.
4: I personally am passionate about the intersection between um, equality and social change. Uh, between that and science. So, as a social innovator, I believe that equality and like the liberation of uh people who um like aren't yet uh seen as equal uh, is necessary, and it's something that like I want to be working towards. Um, something that really drives this is um one speech and debate. As a debater, I've like come across a lot of research about like how equality isn't yet achieved and how like there are several different ways on like how we can go about achieving them through like community organizing and um just like building a community. And so debate has really shown me how uh, these things are really important. And science is sort of similar to what Patrick was mentioning about like neuroscience and how that can be like an effective communication method. I found that to be really interesting, uh, mainly because my younger sister is also minimally speaking. And so sort of seeing the connection between like neuroscience and this like social change or doing it for using it for social good
0: seems extremely interesting to me and is something that I'm really passionate about. I see a new tagline like neuroscience for social good. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah. And there there are so many different ways that we can look at equality. And definitely, you know, looking at disabilities and abilities and speakers and non-speakers, but also gender equality or LGBTQ plus equality and racial equality. And, and there's just so many different ways that humans find to segregate ourselves. And, and I'm totally I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm taking this on my own train of thought. But if we can use science to really prove that we're all equal and create neuroscience for social change.
5: So right now... I don't think I'm a social innovator, but I aspire to be one for many ways. It's a little similar to what Aisha talked about, but what drives me to be a social innovator is equality for everyone. So I want to break harmful social norms by being a social innovator. I feel like a lot of minority groups are often overlooked, and I think that it's important for people to be more knowledgeable about them. I also want to make people more accepting of others, no matter the differences they might have. and how to deal with these differences, because people often hold certain stereotypes to other people. And I feel like most of these aren't true and should be addressed. I think that it's important that people aren't left out of things that aren't in their control. Because, for example, I have a nonverbal sibling and I have seen how whenever we go out, we get a lot of stares and awkward looks from people when my brother behaves differently from the social norm. And I feel like people are more hesitant to approaching him, which I think is something that is wrong in society, as people should be more open to others with differences, and we should break these harmful stereotypes that we have against other people.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And so much of that is learned behavior. When we look at little kids and we put little kids who haven't had these experiences together, they just see each other as kids and they want to go play. But as we grow up and as we hit those harmful societal norms, it becomes a thing and we become standoffish or we become frightened or we're just not sure what to do. And as humans, when we're not sure what to do, we often do nothing or walk away instead of like just saying hello or just treating each other as humans. So, Ruhi, I think you already are a social innovator, even though that's what you say you're aspiring to be. But absolutely, by being here, by doing this work, by talking about things that a lot of people just aren't talking about, that's what social innovation is about.
6: I think that one of my biggest passions and one of the things that drives me personally to be a social innovator is, I'd say, kind of the drive to connect people overall. I think that in the current world we live in, a lot of people view computer science and web development and all of that as kind of just a means to a personal end or a monetary end. But just my relatively short time working with OMS has made me realize that it can be a really good way to provide people a platform to get their ideas out that wouldn't exist otherwise. And so I've become really passionate about trying to give that platform or create that platform for people that need it.
0: Yeah. Not only... Neuroscience for social good, but web development and use of the internet for social good. Absolutely. So many of the things that we have are so limited for people with disabilities and people with different challenges, and everything is not accessible. And how can we design for a better future that's really inclusive of everyone? That's a big issue and a big problem. Thank you all for sharing your social innovation ideas, sharing your passion. I'd love to hear if there's any other thoughts that anyone wants to share. This is a great time to share maybe a project that's happening in the lab or anything else you want to talk about and also how to get in touch with you. How do we find the Social Innovation Lab?
2: Rachel says, your daughter wasn't nonverbal. She just couldn't speak. Speech is a motor function. Language is a different part of the brain. People think non-speakers are non-thinkers. It isn't true. Rachel also says... Rookie, you are an innovator by showing up and
0: taking people with disabilities seriously. That is radical. Don't underestimate that. Absolutely. And you're right, Rachel. Eliza found many, many ways to communicate, and she was very bright and found lots of different ways to tell us all of the things that she knew. She just couldn't do it with her voice. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your voices and your ideas and your innovations. If anyone would like to get in touch with the Open Mind Innovation Lab, their website is openmindschool.org/social-innovation-lab and that will be in our show notes as well. But we'd love for you to reach out. We'd love to share our voices and ideas and We'd love to hear from all of you out there about the different ways that we all communicate with each other. And special shout out to Eric Kellenberger and Mark Rossimer, who support the lab to bridge students with resources and opportunities in tech and in the community. So thank you all. Thank you, everyone who is involved in the project. Thank you, students and participants and innovators for sharing your voices. And I hope that we can talk again soon. Welcome everyone to the Rebel Educator podcast. We are working on a new issue this week, which is how do we include non-speaking people in regular classwork? Today, we have Rachel Kripke Ludwig here. She communicates by pointing to letters on a letter board. Her mother is translating her words and speaking them in real time. So please bear with us. There may be some pauses throughout our podcast. The experience of patience with her communication method is part of her teaching. Rachel is a 19-year-old student at Open Mind School. She is able to do college preparatory work and has an A in calculus, but if you met her, you might assume she was only capable of simple work. She doesn't respond or even appear to pay attention to what you say, but this couldn't be farther from the truth. She takes in everything, even the things people think she can't hear. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. I wanted to start by just having you share a little about yourself and the things that have made your journey as a student unique.
2: H I Hi. I M Hi, I'm R A C H E L. Hi, I'm Rachel. Y O U A R E I N F O R A T R-E-A-T-T-O-D-A-Y. You're in for a treat today. I am, I'm, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-A-R-D-I-N-G. I'm letter boarding. M-Y-R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E. E S, I'm letterboarding my responses. Mm. I N R E A L T I M E in real time. I A M A F A S T L E T T E R B O A R D E R -R 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 N O W. I'm a fast letter border now. B U T T H A T W A S N T, but that wasn't. A L W A Y S T R U E, but that wasn't always true. I U S E D T O H-A-V-E-N-O-E-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. I I used to have no effective W-A-Y-T-O-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-E. I used to have no effective way to communicate.
0: I ask at what age the letter board was introduced. How long have you been using it? I a m n
2: i n t e e n y e a r s o l d. I'm nineteen years old. I s t a r t e d a t a g e. T-H-I-R-T-E-E-N. I started at
0: 13. Wow. So just for our listeners out there, Rachel went through the first 13 years of her life really with no way to effectively communicate. And as she stated, she's a very fast letter boarder now, but that wasn't always the case. And There are other letter boarders who are not as proficient and quick as she is. So, I'd love to have you keep going Rachel and tell us more about your journey. I W A S A
2: U N D E R S T A N D A B L Y I was an understandably S L O W I was an understandably slow L E T T E R B O A R D E R. Letter border A T F I R S T. I was an understandably slow letter border at first. I T T A K E S A L O T O F P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. It takes a lot of practice. B-O-T-H-F-O-R-M-E, both for me. A-N-D-F-O-R-M-Y-C-O-M-M-U-I-N-I-E. C A T I O N P A R T N E R and for my communication partner Okay we're taking a little break
0: That's fine Can you tell me a little about the letter board is it set up like a like a qwerty keyboard or does each page have different letters just to give our listeners a greater understanding I think there are a lot of people who have never probably even heard of letter boarding. If you could walk through that, that would be amazing.
2: M-Y-L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-A-R-D-I-S-A-L-A-M-I-N-A-T-E-D-P-A-P-E-R. My letter board is a laminated paper, W- I T H T H E with the A L P H A B E T with the alphabet P R I N T E D O N O N E S I D E with the alphabet printed on one side A N D N U M B E R S and numbers A N D S Y M B O L S and letters and, uh, and numbers and symbols O N T H E O T H E R S I D E and symbols on the other side I L I-K-E-T-H-E-C-O-L-O-R-O-R-A-N-G-E, I like the color orange, S-O-M-Y-B-O-A-R-D-I-S-O-R-A-N-G-E, I like the color orange, so my letter board is orange. I-A-M-S-Y-N-T-H-E-S-T-E-T-I-C. am synesthetic. Ooh. T-H-A-T. T-H-A-T-M-E-A-N-S. That means I-M-Y. that means my B. R A I N. That means my brain. M I X E S. That means my brain mixes. C O L O R S colors. A N D E M O T I O N S.
0: That means my brain mixes colors and emotions. I've heard of synesthesia. It must be such an interesting way to see the world. Uh, My son's favorite color is orange also, just as a side note. But I'd love to go back to schools and hear more about the type of schools you've attended, the mindsets around those schools and your teachers, and what ultimately led you to Open Mind School.
2: M-Y-E-A-R-L-Y, my early E D U. C A T I O N, my early education. W A S T Y P I C A L was typical. S P E C I A L was typical special. E D U C A T. I O N my early education was typical spe- special education S T U F F stuff L I K E like P E C S like PECS W H I C H A R E P I C T U R E I C O N S, which are picture mm. icons. A N D T E A C C H and teach W H I C H I S A, mm. which is a S U P P O S E D L-Y, which is a supposedly E-B-M, which is a supposedly E-B-M, evidence-based medicine, A-C-T-I-V-I-T-Y activity. I-T-W-A-S-U-S-E-L-E-S-S, it was useless, A-S-W-A-S, as was... B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-A-L-M-E-T-H-O-D-S. It was useless, as was behavioral methods. B-E-C-A-U-S-E-T-H-E-Y. Because they m i s u n d e r S T O O D, because they misunderstood M Y N E U R O L O G Y, because they misunderstood my neurology. T H E Y B E L I E V E D, they believed T H A T, they believed that M Y-P-R-O-B-L-E-M, they believe that my problem, W-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-L, they believe that my problem was social, U-N-D-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G, they believe my problem was social understanding, A, N, D, I, N, T, E, L, L, C, E, sorry, E, C, T, and intellect, R, A, T, H, E, R, T, H, A, N, rather than S, E, N, S, O, R, Y, rather than sensory, A, N, D, M, O, V, E, M E N T I S S U E S They believed the problem was social understanding and intellect rather than sensory and movement issues O M S O M S Open Mind School I S A G R E A T E X A M P L E O F W H A T I S P O S S I B L E Open Mind School is a good example of what is possible. I F A T E A C H E R B E L I E V E S I N T H E I R S T U D E N T S. Open Mind School is a good example of what can happen if teachers believe in their students. K E E P M Y W O R D S E X A C T P L E A S E. Keep my words exact
3: please.
2: I A M S O R R Y. I'm sorry F O R T H E E D. I T I'm sorry for the edit. M Y C P. My communication partner. D I D. My communication partner did J U S T T. H E R E. My communication partner did just there. I T H A P P E. N S A L O T. It happens a lot. Y O U C A N. You can S E E W H Y. You can see why. S H E I S T R Y I N G. She is trying. B U T H E R. But her U-N-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-B-I-A-S, but her unconscious bias, H-A-S-A-N, her unconscious bias has an A-U-T-O-C-O-R-R-E-C-T, her unconscious bias has an autocorrect s h e i s v e r y g o o d she's very good b u t n o b o d y i s p e r f e c t but nobody's perfect t h a t D-O-E-S-N-T. That doesn't M-E-A-N. That doesn't mean M-Y-V-O-I-C-E. That doesn't mean my voice, I-S-N-T, isn't M-I-N-E. That doesn't mean my voice isn't mine. e D P R O F E S S -S I O N A L S. Some sped special education professionals. T H I N K. Think T H A T S U P P O R T. Some special education professionals think Support I S A support is a U N D E R M I N I N G is an undermining O F A U T O N O M Y is an undermining mm-hmm. of autonomy B U T I-T-H-I-N-K-S-U-P-P-O-R-T, but I think support, I-S-E-N-A-B-L-I-N-G, but I think support is enabling.
0: I can see how support is enabling. I can also see how it'd be frustrating to not have your exact words and voice coming out. Um, But I can also see how understanding you are of your communication partner and noticing that that's an unconscious bias that happens and that she's doing her best. You were a part of our conversation in the Social Innovation Lab with Open Mind School as well. So how do you see that project developing to open minds, create communities that support and rally around its members on a larger scale, what do you hope it accomplishes?
2: M Y S O C I O I A L My Social I N N O V A T I O N My Social Innovation L A B My Social Innovation Lab I S A G R E A T P R O G R A M is a great program. A T O M S at O M S Open Mind School. D I S A B L E D A N D N O N D I S A B L E D Disabled and non-disabled HSSTUDENTSHS high school students. Disabled and non-disabled high school students. GETTOGETHERONZOOM. Get together on Zoom. W-E-E-K-L-Y weekly T-O-L-E-A-R-N to learn A-N-D and T-O-D-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T-S and to do projects t o g e t h ER and to do projects together I T I S A F A B U L O U S W A Y It's a fabulous way T O L E A R N A B O U T E-A-C-H-O-T-H-E-R-S-L-I-V-E-S. It's a
0: fabulous way to learn about each other's lives. Do you have a vision or a hope for what you hope the Social Innovation Lab project accomplishes? W E H A V E A
2: L R E A D Y E-O-N-E-I-M-P-O-R-T-A-N-T-W-O-R-K. We've already done important work. We E V E N T. We held a diversifying mentor event W H E R E W E T A L K E D A B O U T W H A T M A K E S U S S P E C I A L, where we talked about what makes us special. M Y M O M Y C P E D I T E D My communication partner edited A G A I N S L I G H T L Y My communication partner edited again slightly B U T G O W I T H I T but go with it S H E I S T R Y I N G she's trying A N D I F Y O U A R E and if you are F O L L O W I N G M Y S-P-E-L-L-I-N-G, and if you're following my spelling, Y-O-U-A-R-E-M-A-K-I-N-G, you're making E-R-R-O-R-S, you're making errors T-O-O, you're making errors too
0: trying to follow your spelling and i'm making a lot of errors so i am appreciating your communication partner even when it's not exactly perfect it's definitely a skill as well talking about skills you mentioned the synesthesia and you know we've talked about soft skills can you tell us a little more about how the world feels to you and the skills you're developing to work within what are honestly constraints in our society M Y
2: J O U R N E Y, my journey I S T Y P I C A L O F A U T I S T I C N-O-N-S-P-E-A-K-E-R-S My journey is typical of non-speakers WHO, who who've gotten access T O A W A Y T O. C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-E, who have gotten access to a way to communicate. I-T-I-S, it is T-H-E-S-A-M-E-B-A-S-I-C-S-T-O-R-Y. It's the same basic story. M-I-S-U-N-D-E-R-S-T-O-O-D, misunderstood, A-S-A-K-I-D, misunderstood as a kid, A-N-D-F-O-U-N-D-A-S-P-E-C-I-A-L, and found a special... P-E-R-S-O-N, and found a special person, W-H-O-T-O-O-K, who took T-H-E-T-I-M-E, who took the time T-O-L-E-A-R-N-A-C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-I-O-N- who took the time to learn a communication m e t h o d a communication method a n d t h e f i r s t t h i n g t h e y and the first thing they s a y and the first thing they say i s t h a t is that T-H-E-P-R-O-F-E-S-S-I-O-N-A-L-S is that the professionals H-A-D-I-T-W-R-O-N-G is that the professionals had it wrong. A-N-D-T-H-A-T and that T-H-E-Y, and that they, U-N-D-E-R-S-T-O-O-D, and that they understood, E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-I-N-G, and that they understood everything. L-I-F-E, life, D-R-A-M-A-T-I-C-A-L-L-Y, life dramatically. I-M-P-R-O-V-E-D, Life Dramatically Improved, W-I-T-H-A-C-C-E-S-S, with access T-O-E-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, with access to effective C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A-T-I-O-N, with access to effective communication.
0: Can imagine. I think there are two really strong, important messages in what you just said. And the first is that professionals and people who don't understand others um, need to assume competency. We need to assume that other people are understanding what we're saying and that it does make sense. And then For parents out there who have children who are nonverbal or for listeners who may be nonverbal yourselves, finding that effective communication method, as Rachel said, changes everything and life dramatically improves. So to keep working and looking for that thing that's going to work for you and your life or your child. I know a little earlier, you mentioned pecs and the, the pictures That speech therapists often use with kids to try and communicate. And my daughter had cerebral palsy and was nonverbal, and she hated those things. And if they work for some children, that's great. And any communication that works for you, by all means, use it. My daughter would throw a fit when they brought in the little pictures because she wanted nothing to do with them. But if you brought in a board with words, she would happily communicate and share with you her thoughts. So it's different for everyone. But looking forward, what are your plans for the future? I know with young people, we often ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I'd love to ask, what problem do you want to work towards solving?
2: M-Y-L-I-F-E-I-S-S-O-M-U-C-H. B-E-T-T-E-R-N-O-W. My life is so much better now. T-H-A-N-B-E-F-O-R-E than before I H-A-D. My life is so much better than before I had A C C E S S T O C O M, M, U, N, I, C, A, T, I, O, N is so much better than before I had access to communication. I, A, M, R, E, A, L, L, Y. I'm really H, O, P, I, N, G, T, O, B, E, A, N. E X A M P L E. I'm really hoping to be an example. T H A T C A N that can. H E L P O T H E R S that can help others. T O G E T A C C E S S that can get access. T O E D U C A T I O N, they can get access to education. I R E A L I Z E I realize T H A T I realize that K N O W L E D G E that knowledge, that knowledge I S P O W E R that knowledge is power A N D I W A N T A L L T H E K N O W L E D G E and I want all the knowledge I N T H E W O R-L-D, and I want all the knowledge in the world. P-O-W-E-R-I-S-O-U-R-S. Power is ours. P-E-E-P-S. Power is ours, peeps. L-E-T-S-T-A-K-E. Let's take... O-V-E-R-T-H-E-W-O-R-L-D. Let's take over the world. G-E-T-Y-O-U-R. Get your S-P-E-C-I-A-L-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S. Get your special partners. A-n- d and l e t s g o and let's go w e h a v e we have w h a t w e n e e d we have what we need T-O-T-A-K-E-O-V-E-R-T-H-E-D. W O R L D We have what we need to take over the world S O G R A B So grab Y O U R P A R T N E R So grab your partner A N D L E A R N and learn E V E R Y T-H-I-N-G-Y-O-U-C-A-N, and learn everything you can, A-B-O-U-T-E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-I-N-G, and learn everything you can about everything, A-N-D-T-H-E, and the P-O-W-E-R-I-S-O-U-R-S. And the power is ours. T-E-A-C-H-E-R-S. Teachers, W-A-T-C-H-O-U-T. Teachers, watch out. W E A R E E X C E E D I N G Y. O-U. teachers watch out we're exceeding you a n d y o u h a v e m u c h t o l e a r n and you have much to learn r e b e l e D-U-C-A-T-O-R-S, rebel educators, A-R-E-N-T-A-F-R-A-I-D, rebel educators aren't afraid, O-F-T-H-E-I-R-S-T-U-D-E-N-T-S, rebel educators aren't afraid of their students, S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Rebel educators aren't afraid of their students' success. I-T-I-S-A-N-H-O-N-O-R. It's an honor. T-O-T-A-L-K-T-O-Y-O-U. It's an honor to talk to you. T-O-D-A-Y today. I-A-M-H-O-P-E-F-U-L, I'm hopeful, F-O-R-O-U-R-F-U-T-U-R-E. I'm hopeful for our future, W-I-T-H-T-H-E, with the C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-I-O-N, with the collaboration... O F F A B with the collaboration of F A B Fab T E A C H E R S with the collaboration of Fab Teachers W H O G E T I T who get it.
0: D O N E done. I am hopeful for that as well. The more teachers we can help to get it, the more collaboration, the more students we can assume competency and support and create that ability um, for communication and for learning is better for all of us. So thank you so much, Rachel, for being here, sharing your world and your journey with us. I know myself and the entire Rebel Educator Network is grateful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, Rebel Educators. I can't believe this is the end of season two. We have so much in store for you in season three. We're looking forward to so many new conversations with innovative leaders, students, and educators who are defining what education looks like for now and to shape our generation of the future. Stay with us as we launch season three and keep challenging the status quo.